Which kills more people, atheism or Christianity? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, November 13th, 2023. And in today's top story, we'll look at Darwin, Darwinism's terrible toll on humanity over multiple years. Hello, guys. I'm Brian Osborne here with Dr. Tim Chafee down there, and then Avery Foley right here. And this is Answers News, a commentary on the issues of our day from a biblical perspective. We have a live studio audience. Do you guys clap and make yourselves known to those watching all live? Nice. We didn't even practice. Look at that. Well done. <laughs> but let's jump into our first story for today. That is how atheistic Darwinism led, to the West, led the West into a dark age of eugenics. And so this is a very intriguing article. looks into some history that is fairly uncomfortable for a lot of people, but something mm -hmm. that's really, we need a reminder of for sure. And basically what it looks at, the author of the article is looking at an essay by another person I looked at how Darwinism evolution led to something called eugenics. And eugenics, the word itself, means to be well-born. And so based on the idea of evolution and natural selection, the idea was that some people are more evolved or better born than others. They have better genes. And so earlier on, late 1800s, early 1900s, many people tried to say, okay, let's apply evolution to people. Let's try to keep those with the good genes and get rid of those who have the bad genes. Now, who had the bad genes? Well, typically those who are minorities, those with disabilities. Actually, according to some of them, if you were a minority, that was a disability, other factors as well. And they wanted to get rid of those mm -hmm. who had the bad genes. And so how did you do that? You couldn't just outright kill those people. Of course, that's what Hitler does later on, right? Same idea, just a different level. So what they began to do is to sterilize people and to actually make them be forcibly sterilized to try to reduce their population so those with the good genes would actually take over. So that's what the article is all about, and it gives a great rebuttal of that horrible idea. As they go through the article, he introduces it by talking about how this is grounded in atheistic evolution, because if there is no God, then people are not created in his image. If we're not created in his image, then what gives human life any kind of inherent value? Well, nothing does. We're just animals like everything else on the planet. So why not select which individuals can have children and pass on their genes and which ones can't? And then maybe we can kind of, in their thinking, give evolution a little bit of a helping hand and kind of speed it along right. because things like Christian charity, helping the poor, helping the sick, that's just making those people live longer. So maybe if we can, you know, sterilize those people so they can't have children, that'll help. That was their, that was their thinking. That was the ideology that the elites of the day just grabbed right onto and all kinds of programs in the United States, as well as this country, this article was specifically focusing on Canada and how that was part of Canada's history as right. well. Um, that, that became part of different Western countries. And then of course, culminating in what happened in Germany as people tried to apply Darwin's ideas to the social fabric of life. Right, and we're not saying in this article, not saying that every single atheist believes in eugenics and no. thinks that's the way to go. Of course they don't, but this is perfectly consistent with that. When you, yeah. What Darwin would do is look at the, the animals in, in the world and they would say, hey, they don't take care of their, their weak. They kind of leave them behind and then the predators get them. And, and so therefore, natural selection is only acting upon those that are surviving, therefore the, str the strong survive in a sense. And so we should apply that to humanity. That was the argument. He says, thus the weak members of civilized societies propagate their kind. No one who has attended to the breeding of domestic animals will doubt that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. It is surprising how soon a want of care or care wrongly directed leads to the degeneration of a domestic race. But excepting in the case of man itself, hardly anyone is so ignorant as as to allow his worst animals to breed. Who said that? That was Darwin. That was Charles Darwin. So, and then that was just carried out in the next several decades in 
uh, in the U.S. And mm -hmm. there are some numbers that they include in here. Uh, 534,625 Americans were deemed to be defective and 60,000 of them would be, would for, be sterilized. And in uh, Canada, Avery's home country, 3,000, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. In Alberta alone were sterilized. Yeah. Uh, so this is something that was done to people in our in our two countries, mm -hmm. and yeah. um, and it was deemed acceptable at the time because it was going to improve the supposedly supposed to improve the human race. And actually, you know, there's a quote here that says from the article, although most people unsurprisingly felt that Galton, Francis Galton, who invented eugenics, he's the cousin of Darwin, actually, he said Galton had gone too far. His defenders portrayed any critics as obstructing scientific advance, just as they had tried to obstruct uh, Galileo, they declared. So in other words, they weren't following the science. If you didn't agree with their agenda in eugenics, then you weren't following the science, and therefore you were just illogical, irrational, and really dangerous in their ideology. And based on this thinking, roughly, like you said, 60,000 people, 70,000 were forcibly sterilized in the states. Around 30 different states had sterilization laws in the United States based on this mm -hmm. horrific ideology. And there's a quote I heard in the past that ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. And you see that yeah. played out with this particular ideology. And it's very interesting for Darwin. He was especially racist. He thought some people were more evolved than others. And he thought the superior races would conquer and take over the inferior races. And who did Darwin think were the superior races? Well, those who looked like him, Caucasians like himself, European descent, that sort of thing. Yeah. Who were the inferior races? Everybody else by degrees but they were less evolved. And so he thought the more evolved should take over the population. And you see where that thinking does go, you follow it through to its logical conclusion. Ideas have consequences and bad mm -hmm. ideas have victims. What's interesting is we look back on this, we look back on the history of eugenics and we think, how could, how could people have done that? How could they think that was okay? Especially as it started to snowball into all the atrocities that took place as Germany really took that a whole step further. But the same thing happens in our day, just under different names, right? right? As soon as you no longer have the absolute authority of God's word, and all of a sudden man is the authority, well, then we come up with all kinds of clever euphemisms and clever ways to defend evil. We call, instead of saying abortion is killing an innocent human being in the mother's womb, we call it healthcare. And women have the freedom to make their own healthcare choices. So we come up with all these clever euphemisms that try and make something that's really evil sound good, and a lot of people go along with it. They, they mentioned in this article how liberal clergy started to join the eugenics movement as well. They liked the idea of, you know, helping to reduce crime because they thought, okay, well, if poverty leads to crime, then we could, should get, you know, help reduce the number of poor people, not by helping them, but by sterilizing them or whatever, and then we can reduce crime. Well, the liberal clergy thought, you know, yeah. it's, it's scientific, it, you know, and they adopted a lot of those ideas. They did not go back to God's word That's and right. see what does God's word say? Because all those ideas are antithetical to the teaching of scripture and to the teaching that people are made in the image of God. But the same thing happens in the church today where so many people adopt the ideas of our culture that sound good or sound scientific instead of going back to what does the word of God actually say? And it's good that you brought up the abortion issue because we're doing almost the exact same thing. What are they doing when they're testing kids yeah, in the womb? Yeah, it's exactly. Down thing, syndrome. Just a, a lot of times it's not an exact thing. They're just guessing. Well, they, there's a few markers that indicate maybe they have Down syndrome. You should abort. And yep. that's how countries like Denmark have right. removed Down syndrome. Not because they found a cure or anything. It's because they, they abort every single one of them. So they kill. 
every single mm -hmm. child who is It's just eugenics born. under a different name. Right. Really? It's all it is. It is. They're, the, they're the related <laughs> thing we deal with in our culture today, it's euthanasia. And that's mm -hmm. also uh, in Canada as well, and even oh, a yeah. bigger thing in Canada where- It's exploding, uh, it's uh, horrible. Yeah, so you have the elderly being put to death or you have people who are terminally ill, that's where it starts. It's a loving thing to allow them to not suffer anymore. That, that's where it starts. But then, mm -hmm. pretty soon, who do you deem fit to live or not to live? And that's where it goes. And uh, we have a, a really good chapter by Dr. Georgia Purdom on both those issues, eugenics and uh, euthanasia in the New Answers Book 3. So we encourage you to get that. Uh, it's chapter 17 in there. But, um, yeah, it's yeah. certainly not dead. People think it kind of died out with the world, Second World War when people became exposed to the natural consequences of taking this too far. Mm -hmm. But it really hasn't died out. It's just gone under different names. It, it was, well, it became very unpalatable when people saw yeah. what yeah. happened to the Jewish people and others like in Germany. For a, for a long time, if you hold these, you, you kind of keep it down low and mm -hmm. it's underground for a while. But you, you can see in our culture, you can see it just goes by different popping names. up again. Yeah. Yep. And two things really quickly. It's interesting. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a huge mover and shaker in the eugenics movement. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was actually so extreme that even after Hitler, uh, after all that took place in Nazi Germany, she was still all excited for eugenics and really was on board with it. And she was frustrated that many people had abandoned it, at least publicly, after Nazi Hitler. And, and also the second thing would be this. Understand that um, Darwin, interestingly enough, was a staunch racist. And he was very sexist. But Why, he hasn't been canceled. Why hasn't he been canceled? <laughs> right. That's my question. I got to think through that. So ideas do indeed have consequences. But moving on to the next article with no good segue whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to go. Or that was anyway. a good segue. Thanks. I appreciate Great it. Great segue. <laughs> Researchers reveal true crab's epic ancient odyssey from sea to land and back again and then back again <laughs> and then back again and then back again and then, okay, I'm not on repeat, but it happened a whole lot. So. It's a new study based in systemic uh, biology, which talks about a team of researchers who have gone through to look at how crabs have evolved in different environments. Which I'm sure everyone here regions. was like really wondering. I know when you the woke up this morning, you're thinking, of crabs. how did crabs evolve? That's how did why they, they go from land today. to water, back to water <laughs> to land? How, I know you're wondering, we're here for you. We got you covered in all this, all right? <laughs> the answer is they didn't. And so, of course, but in this article, they're approaching from evolutionary perspective, how crabs must have evolved over long periods of time. And of course, in the research, they pushed back the age of crabs another, what, 45 million years than they thought they were. So the dates mm -hmm. are changing once again. We often joke here at the ministry, what only truly evolves is evolution itself. Yeah. It's, the timeline's always evolving. Always the whole narrative, the whole story is always changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, they're going to argue they evolved back and forth multiple times. But amazingly, crabs have stayed crabs. That, that's really it's the shocking. point here, that crabs evolved into crabs. So we, we teach at the Creation Museum at the Ark Encounter that God created the kinds, and they will bring forth after their kind. Dogs will stay dogs, cats will stay cats. Crabs stay crabs, and there, maybe there's multiple families that get grouped into that. Maybe there are several different kinds, but what we see here uh, is that there's incredible variety within that. Some of them are capable of living primarily on land. Most of them are in the water. but um, Some live in both. Yeah. And that's one. That's research that went on for 20 years. Somebody's somebody studied crabs for really 20 crabs. years. <laughs> studied for 20 years. Did they eat yeah. the crab legs? At maybe, least could they do that? Maybe. There's at least some benefit. 20 to years. Crabs. But they, they talked about how it showed that true crabs not left the marine environment seven to 17 times. Which one was it? Seven <laughs> to 17. That's a pretty Eight, big nine. range. A, yeah, it is pretty a big, big range. range. Of years. So there's so still a lot of guesswork, no matter right. how definitive they want to make it seem. 
there's a lot of guesswork going on here. Mm -hmm. And really what it is, it's just variety within that created kind. Just, you look at humanity, you look around this room, there's a lot of diversity. You got short to tall, you got young to not young. Right here young. on this stage. Yeah. There's short to tall. I'll sit up so Avery looks short. Yeah, no. My chair's way down and Avery don't. <laughs> yeah, it's all the way up here. It's true. <laughs> yeah, crabs remain crabs. But it, the, the idea of something evolving this way 17 different times, and then they go on to say that terrestrial crabs had to evolve back to marine crabs two to three times. You got to add that on top and of remember, they those didn't, numbers. They don't have the goal of living on land. That they did like. mention that too. <laughs> the crabs, yeah, they didn't have a consensus where they decided. Um, I wonder how the crabs they told don't, them that. <laughs> the evolutionists don't even have a mechanism that can create brand new genetic information in order for the crabs to evolve in the first place, but they have to believe the crabs evolved not once or twice, but seven to 17 different times, but they have no mechanism that can provide the brand new genetic information that's needed right. for variation within crabs. And one thing to notice, and this is true with so many of these articles, there is good research taking place here, yes. observing the crabs and seeing how, how they interact with their environment observing in different the ways. And all. Yeah, that, that's really good research, but then there's the story that gets pushed down mm -hmm. on top of it, and it's like, how did they evolve these things? They didn't. Mm -hmm. So the conclusion of the article is that crabs evolve into crabs. Yep. And for that, I throw this article away. <laughs> we'll go, that's just the biggest waste uh, of time. He's All so right. violent. <laughs> so dramatic. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Moving on, I don't like crabs. Let's talk about butterflies. In our Yay. next article, here we go, Seeing the Unseen, How Butterflies Can Help Scientists Detect Cancer. This was actually a very intriguing article. I think it all three was. of us really enjoyed reading this one. It was a little one. technical, but it was really interesting. And so it starts off like this. There are many creatures on our planet with more advanced senses than humans. Turtles can sense the Earth's magnetic field. Mantis shrimp can detect, detect polarized light. Elephants can hear much lower frequencies than humans can. Butterflies can perceive a broader range of colors, including ultraviolet light. And so they've been studying how a particular butterfly can actually observe ultraviolet light and try to mimic its optical structure, how it does that, mimic that, so we can also see it as well and apply that in medical advances, like seeing different types of cancer cells. And the way it plays out is just really, really neat, but basically based on the way certain things like amino acids and proteins give off different levels of ultraviolet light, you can use this sort of technology to actually see cancer cells and differentiate them from regular cells, which has incredible implications for uh, medicine, for cancer research, for dealing with cancer and so forth. Yeah, they said that they can detect it with a 99% confidence. So uh, think about that. It, you can Easy. maybe uh, more safely and quickly detect cancer and, and be sure that that's what it is, which that's a great use. But one thing they pointed out, and this is amazing, I think, surgery. So if you have a, a cancerous tumor or something like that, a lot of times what happens, they not only do they cut that out, but everything right around there just to make sure they hopefully get everything. Well, with this, if you're able to look through some sort of lens that lets you see exactly which ones are cancerous and which ones aren't, you don't have to guess anymore. That's right. You can cut only mm -hmm. what's needed out of there. And that's a fantastic use of, of science. That's yeah. this is one of the things we should be doing. And what it's really what we call this is called biomimicry. You're looking at the world around us. You're looking at God's creation and you're saying, mm -hmm. what amazing things can these creatures do that we can learn from? Like yeah. in the Bible, it talks about speak to the ant and it will teach you, you know, these different things. And you can, you can learn mm -hmm. from creation. And there are so many examples of biomimicry. This is a great one. Yeah, this, this is really cool. The idea of building a camera based on the eyes of butterflies. They just, they looked at them. They saw, okay, they have more photoreceptors. They're tiered in a certain way. Let's try to copy that design. And lo and behold, they were able to make this camera that can actually see UV, which not only has applications in the medical field, but they go on to talk about how if we can see in UV, that's going to be a big help to biologists because lots of animals do see UV. 
UV, and we don't know what they're seeing. So if we're able yeah. to see what they can see, that will help in understanding some of their behaviors and the different things they do, um, as well as in the underwater environment where UV light goes a lot further, down in the deep sea, for example they would be able to use that to see what the other creatures down there are seeing, which is pretty cool too. So lots of neat applications. And oftentimes what we hear from evolutionists is that, you know, um, creationists can't do science or whatever. Well, this kind of science, evolutionists and creationists can agree on. It's <laughs> observational science. It's directly testable, observable, repeatable. Mm. And it's using the scientific method. This is where we would agree. It's when you step outside of that and you try to explain where butterfly eyes came from in the first place, that's where we're going to disagree because that's no, historical no, no. science. To that point, if you really want to have your mind blown for a second, think about where the butterfly's eye did come from. Oh, yeah, it was from that little cocoon that was just a ball, <laughs> just goo for a little bit because that's before true. that it was just a caterpillar. It's a caterpillar. Yeah. So this caterpillar creates this little chrysalis and becomes oh, yeah. this blob of goo and comes out of the butterfly. God's How design is phenomenal. That's yeah, all I can it say. Really like it's amazing. just, it's amazing. it's amazing. There's no way that came from chance random processes over millions of years. And right. I know why we all enjoyed this article so much. There was no mention of evolution in the article at all. I don't think. I, yeah, I don't remember there seeing it in there. It was just observational science. It was just science. observational science, yeah. This was a great article. I'll keep this one. All right. <laughs> 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 Moving on from butterflies. Brian's feelings just run him. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Now we're going to talk about dinosaurs. I love talking about dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here we go. Kind of about dinosaurs. Did you hear about Speaker Mike Johnson and the dinosaurs on the ark? <laughs> this article. So this article, we could be here a while on this one. I'll try not to camp out too long. But basically, it's written by a guy named Dick Pullman, who doesn't agree with the biblical worldview, as is obvious from the bit. article. <laughs> and uh, and so I'll, I'll read the introduction so you kind of get a tenor of the article. He says, to the shock of nobody, Speaker Mike Johnson has already proven himself to be a contentable little man, pitching a crackpot deal to fund aid for Israel by swiping the money from the bolstered IRS program that cracks down on rich tax cheaters. So you can kind of see the, the bias. The you little can, bit of bias, You can maybe. see the secular leftist <laughs> ideology and the bias there, and it's all the way through. Yeah, there's so, no attempt at neutrality, there's journalistic <laughs> neutrality or anything. Not even, not even there's really not. But then he goes on to say this. But what fascinates me most about Speaker Mike is his biblical devotion to dinosaurs. It's kind of funny until we examine it closely. And so what he's going to talk about is how Mike Johnson actually believes the Bible. It's shocking. A Christian who believes the Bible. Right? Like, what? <laughs> but here's the key takeaway. We'll kind of flesh this out as we really go through the article. The key takeaway is if you believe in the Bible, as this person says, and much of the secular culture agrees, then you're dangerous. And that's yeah. what we're going to see fleshed out as we go through. Yeah, so he talks about how um, he basically ties in um, Mike Johnson and the Ark Encounter. So we got brought into this too. Because he did legal work for he the did Ark. He legal work, right. yeah. Back when we were building the Ark and the news outlets were reporting that the state was funding the, you know, the, the Ark, which is completely false. So Utterly false. false. But no matter how many times we say it. that, yeah, it, just, it goes on. It did on. not happen. <laughs> but he talks about how, you know, he thinks the earth, Mike, uh, Mike Johnson thinks the earth is only 6,000 years old, starting from the Bible, right? That's and thinks get. that prehistoric creatures hitched rides on Noah's Ark. So he's talking specifically about dinosaurs there. And he's like, well, that's a brain twister because first of all, and he goes into the Ark encounter, he's like, how did Noah fit those weighty dinosaurs on board without breaking the boat? Which he didn't really look on our website to see if maybe we've thought about that objection before, but you right. are the content manager for the attraction. So did you think of that as we were building the You know, car? like last second, it hit me. We better have a sign about that. And so we, we did barely Tell, you're touch so, on that. You're just so dangerous. We've answering that questions for the you're entire 30 years the ministry has right. been in so existence, he, but okay. Here's his, his example. Take, for instance, the Tyrannosaurus rex, which weighed roughly seven tons, or consider the far more capacious Titanosaurus, which reputedly tipped the scale at anywhere from 57 to 85 tons. Noah's boat, according to Genesis was only 450 feet long and 75 feet wide. How did he manage the miraculous speed ascribed to him in the Bible, especially on a boat made of wood? 
I hope Dick Pullman will hear this at some point, or if you're watching, the huge Titanosaurus and the Tyrannosaurus Rex, you guys hold on to your seats here, were once smaller when they were younger. Okay, That's I'm six foot nine, 230 pounds. I don't fit in a lot of chairs that some people fit into. <laughs> it's true. I used to be smaller, so you could could have taken. My mom used to carry me around. She can't do that anymore. Okay, um, that you could take juveniles. Okay, which yeah. make a lot of sense. They yep. take up less space. They, they eat less. They they uh, have less waste, which you're really thankful for if you're in charge of cleanup. Right. They're more durable because if you fall over, they're not going to break your hip or a shoulder like I would because I'm getting old. And they're the younger one's going to have many more years to reproduce after the flood. You don't bring the oldest one that can of babies anymore. So you bring the juveniles and they're smaller. So that's how they can And to fit. really echo yeah, that, most people don't realize dinosaurs hatched from eggs. Answer. And about as big as they can get is about this big. So dinosaurs started from this and then grew from there. Mm -hmm. So these juveniles could be fairly small, like dog size, cow size, until they got bigger later on. The, the average size of an adult dinosaur, we estimated, is about the size of a bison. Yep. So like a large cow. You could fit you know, 50 to 85 pairs of large cows on board the ark. I see, and basically there's around 80 some dinosaur kinds, so multiplied by two, you need no more than really 160 some total dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. That'd be fairly small as juveniles, not a problem at all. And also there's this clear distinction, we talk about it all the time within the ministry between observational science and historical science. Mm -hmm. Now the previous article on the butterflies about how their eyes work and you're really co-opting that technology and implementing our own technology to do medicine, that is good observational science. Mm -hmm. We study how the butterfly works, we mimic that, we apply that, we get benefits from it. That's not what historical science is. Within historical science or origin science, you look at present day observations like a bone, a mug, a rock layer, whatever, you interpret it with assumptions about the past. If you have the wrong assumptions about the past when you weren't there, you'll likely get the wrong conclusions. And everybody's got to put, the, put their faith somewhere. Either God's word is your mm -hmm. authority about the unseen past or man's guesses are. You put your faith in one or the other. And so when you read here, he says here, uh, he's kind of mocking Mike Johnson and all his views on this. He says, for the sake of argument, let's ignore the fact that the earth is scientifically estimated to be 4.5 billion years old. Well, the age of the earth is not scientifically estimated by what he means, like observable. The earth doesn't come with a label on saying, hey, I'm four and a half billion years old. You don't see a label anywhere on the earth. You look at present day observations like you know, rock accumulation, erosion, etc. You interpret those with assumptions about the past to make your guess. And many years ago, starting like the early 1800s, there were many scientists who rejected the Bible outright. They said, we can't use biblical history and a supernatural creation mm -hmm. and a global flood to explain present-day observations in geology, etc. We've got to explain that stuff with only natural processes. If you give those natural processes enough time, then maybe you could form the whole earth and all the features in long periods with only natural processes. And so it's the naturalistic assumptions that lead to naturalistic conclusions and the raw conclusions of 4.5 billion years old for the age of the earth. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the article, he ties this all together where he talks about how he says, I don't begrudge Bible adherents for believing what they want to believe. Although based on the tone of his article, I kind of have a hard time believing that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. after all freedom of worship, is constitutionally enshrined. What's dangerous, however, is a house speaker who's tethered to fairy tales. In other words, you Christians believe what you want, but don't you dare bring it into the workplace. Don't you dare bring it into the public sphere. That's your personal belief that belongs maybe in your church and maybe in your home, but nowhere else. But it's okay to have a Supreme Court justice that doesn't know how to define female. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of believing in fairy tales. True. That's right. True. Very, very true. <laughs> but 
he, the, the man who wrote this article, he's going to take his worldview, his secular worldview, and he's going to apply it to the way he votes. He's going to apply it to the way that he, you know, sure. has any, if he has anything to do with policy or whatever, he would apply that in his decision making. So he's allowed to do that, but Christians aren't allowed to do that. That's not freedom. That's saying that our worldview trumps yours. You're not allowed to have your worldview. What's good for me is not good for thee kind of idea. Right. They want freedom from religion, that freedom yeah. of religion, but there really is no such thing as freedom from religion yeah. because these people are very religious. And there's no <laughs> such thing as uh, neutrality. You can't have yeah. a house speaker who's just neutral because everyone has a worldview and everyone is going to take that worldview, which is either grounded on the word of God or it's grounded on man's ideas. Only two options you have, right? They're going to take that worldview and they're going to apply it to the way they think about the world. This man just doesn't want people to be allowed to apply their biblical principles. He would prefer them to only be allowed to apply, apply secular principles based on the authority of man's word. And by the way, in the secular worldview, think about what the secular worldview actually believes. It believes basically nothing exploded and made everything. It believes you get order out of disorder. It believes you get life from non-life. Mm -hmm. It believes you get information from non-living, non-thinking matter. It believes all these anti-scientific ideas. It believes there's nothing uh, beyond the material world. There's nothing like real, there's no foundation for logic or morals. If there is no God, there is no absolute standard. So morality is just relative do what you want to do, but then whose morality is right and how do you determine mm -hmm. who gets to determine what the laws are? It's just might makes right. It's natural selection. That ideology, hear me, is utterly dangerous because it's anti-biblical and it's anti the reality that God has ordained in his creation. And so truly the secular ideas are actually in reality dangerous, but of course they're flipping that around. And words matter. Freedom of worship like Avery said, that's just the idea you can spend one day a week in a church singing songs or maybe at home praying. Freedom of religion says I can live according to my beliefs, apply to my daily life, no matter mm -hmm. where I'm at. And when you see that difference. word change, be sure you take note of that and really fight mm -hmm. against it and really advocate for what is true and right in all of that. And then I'd also, I mean, honestly, anybody, Dick Pullman or anyone else who's got questions, please come. You can be my personal guest. We would love to have you in a chat with you and show you how God's word is true in so many wonderful ways mm -hmm. and challenge your secular ideology with the truth found in the world around objections. us. We really do. The stuff you yeah. mentioned, easy answers. They're not hard. And, and so check those answers, out. We do have this book, How Many Animals Were on the Ark, where we go through in detail. And this one's actually for younger people. So even if you're not familiar with our message, you're going to be able to understand this. And it will show you how you can fit the animals on the ark and how you can account for all of them. In fact, we have a sign down at the ark that shows every single kind required on the ark. It's been it's there cool. for about six years. I haven't had a single message yet saying, oh, you forgot this one. <laughs> so we were pretty thorough. It's a pretty cool sign. Yeah. Yeah. So come on, we'd love to have you. Truly, be, you'd be our guest. We'd love to take you through. It'd be a great treat. But moving on. Canada, not Avery, systemically racist no. after all. <laughs> You're not racist. Thank you. <laughs> we, we, this whole time we thought you were, but. I've had my worries. I don't represent the views of Canada all, all as a government, just saying, in, in any way, really. All right. So what this article is all about. So basically throughout the West, there's this big push to push this kind of neo-Marxism, this new idea uh, that in a society you have only oppressors and the oppressed. It's a mm -hmm. new version of Marxism. Basically, it's kind of a cultural Marxism, if you will. And uh, basically, it's dominating Western thought, America, Canada, all throughout the West. And, and so basically, and part of the argument for this new Marxism is that a whole society is systemically racist, is systemically broken. These oppressive ideas that benefit only the oppressors and always work against the oppressed, they have saturated all the institutions of a culture. And so, therefore, the whole culture itself, the institutions of the culture, are systemically biased, always to the benefit to the oppressor and not to the oppressed. And so, whether you realize it or not, if you benefit from the system, well, you're part of the problem. Therefore, you're an oppressor and you're racist by definition. And so, what this person did was they looked at actual research 
imagine that, actual statistics of different people groups in Canada to see, are the institutions actually systemically oppressive? And what does the research actually bear out? And come to find out, all these claims from the neo-Marxist ideology are utterly false. They said the answer is a resounding no. Yeah, so they, they looked at 20 different minority groups and they compared them and said only four of the minority groups make on average less than their white counterparts. So in other words, 15 are making the same or more. So how is that? Five had more. And five yeah. are making more. So five yeah. minority groups are making statistically more. Statistically more, meaning the rest are about, av about the right. same. Yeah. So, so four uh, less, five four, more. Yeah. So how can you claim that this society is systemically racist when more often than not, they're making more than the, the white counterparts, which is usually the group that is singled out as being the oppressor. Right, but, yeah. But Avery, Justin Trudeau says that <laughs> Canada is systemically racist. Isn't he right in that? I would argue that most of the stuff he says is probably not right. <laughs> I was just setting you up. Okay, I'm sorry. for that as a Canadian, so but... For, yeah, for example, in, uh, the, here's one of the, some, some of the st statistics. Uh, South Asians in Canada make up 7.3% of the po working age population, but they make up 12.4% of engineers, 19% of computing professionals, and 12.5% of doctors. So far exceeding the their population. Okay, mm -hmm. Percentage. Um, and we're yeah. not saying that's right or wrong, that's just what it is. And, it, yeah. and if, if they excel, God bless them, that's wonderful. You know, right. people should be working hard. But what we talked about before we came on the show, a lot of time it had to do with the culture that you're brought up in within the household that you're brought up in. Do they mm -hmm. value family? Do they value education? Do they, do they right. push you toward that and encourage you to, to, to thrive or, or not? And that, that's a bigger indicator than anything else oftentimes. Mm -hmm. But they, they, that's not to excuse any problem that we do have. Obviously, there right. are there's people in our culture. That culture is made up people of people. People are and, sinners, and we're sinful. And so <laughs> there are there are people who do abuse. We're not excusing any of that. But yeah. by and large, when they say systemic, talking about the entire thing being set up that way. Usually mm -hmm. that is not borne out. And the Christian worldview has the categories to call those things wrong and evil and yes. call for repentance and turn to what is true and right and equal treatment of all people. Yes. But only the Christian worldview consistently mm -hmm. has that foundation to make that call for the equal treatment of all people. The secular worldview has no such foundation. If we're just rearranged, evolved Ponscom, like Darwin said, some can be more <laughs> evolved than others. Why not That's oppress if you can? The biblical worldview's got the foundation for that. Yeah, and, and that's a good segue into the next article right, right. there. Well, segue already? <laughs> but, well, real quickly, the, the solution they said was more capitalism, freer markets, the antidote oh, yeah. to unfair discrimination. It's not government regulation and control. That's oftentimes what gets us into those messes. Yeah. Are you trying to keep us on time? I mean, well, look at, I mean, I'm we're, clock, we're running know. long. I know. <laughs> Give me talking about Marxism. We'll All be right, here forever. Here okay. <laughs> so can evolution create free will? A neurologist says yes. So this is a very intriguing article <laughs> yes. uh, because in the evolutionary worldview, as Avery so well segued from the other article, <laughs> there's really there can be no basis for free will because we're just dancing to our DNA, as famous atheist Richard Dawkins says. Mm -hmm. And so in this article, the person's looking at two books written by, I think, evolutionists. One says, no, you just dance to your DNA. There is no free will. The other person says, he's arguing his book, no, we do have free will as humans because somehow natural force evolution evolved in us higher levels of thinking in our brain. So it gave us something nature does not have that way to think about thinking and therefore we have free will that's been given to us by evolution. So it's an interesting article to kind of go back and forth on those two things. Yeah, so it's kind of an argument between these two different books and then a person reviewing the books and being like, but if... How does evolution manage to do that? You're just kind of molding the model to fit what you want it to like 
you want the result to be. But then if we don't have free will, well, then we can't have a justice system because if people are just doing what their DNA tells them to do, then how can we hold anybody accountable for anything that they've ever done? Because they were just doing what their DNA told them to do. So they, they don't like the consequences of that naturalistic worldview where there is no immaterial. Well, then what do you do with people's choices and how do we... How in any way do we like control society in a meaningful way without like a dictatorship and then who gets to decide who's on the top? It's just, it's a bit of a mess when you step outside of the biblical worldview. I, I think that was one of the questions that was asked of Bill Nye when he was here for the debate in this room, actually, oh, where yeah. the consciousness come from. He's like, we don't know. Great mystery. And, but, that's, but that's the great thing about science. We're going to figure it out. Well, yeah. no, it's just a storytelling because you need that immaterial. You need the mind yeah. in order to decide between what is right and wrong. More what, than what just choice DNA. Do you want to, what choice do you want to make between these two things? They said, without free will, we are livestock. Without the presumption of innocence, without actual innocence, and without rights. A justice system that had no respect for free will, a justice system in which human choices are diseases, is a system of livestock management applied to homo sapiens. And how can you blame anybody for anything they do if there is no free will? So they just and had if to there's do no it. morality, because right. morality is just nothing either in the evolutionary world. An extreme example, the thing about the recent mass shooter. I mean, evolutionary yeah. world, but he is just dancing to his DNA. So how right. can we blame him for what he did? And actually, or, there's no really moral category for saying it's wrong because morality is just relative anyway. That was the true for him. the whole situation with Israel and Hamas right now. It, right. If there is no freedom, no free will, then you can't think any one of those things is wrong, no matter which, where you come down on that. You just, it and just our happens. consciences know that's not true. Right. <laughs> that's right. Because well, we're made in God's image. And this gets yeah. down to the crux of it. We'll move on to the last one very quickly. This, uh, this quote says, there is no meaningful way to account for human consciousness that does not involve the idea of, the in, of an immaterial reality. This is what Mitchell is trying to deny. And so in other words, to be able to think that's a non-material reality. It requires something beyond the material world. But the secularist, the materialist says matter is all that exists. Yeah. But if matter is all that exists, how do you explain thinking, logic, free will, love, morality? Those things are non-tangible, but absolutely true. Where do you get these non-tangible realities that don't change? Spoiler alert, God, from God's word, mm -hmm. gives us those things. The secular worldview has no foundation for those. And we know they're there because we're made in his image. And yep. we try to use them, if not inconsistently, like they do in this particular article. But last article, very quick. So, All right. Tim, Avery, tell us, fossils tell, tell of last primate to inhabit North America before humans. Tell us all about that. Go. All right. Yeah, if we had to pronounce this one name, it would not be real quickly. That's why I said, gave it right to you. <laughs> We're going to just call it EKG for short because those are the first That's three like letters. Ten syllables but long. it is so long. Supposedly, this, this primate, the last one to inhabit North America before humans came across about 30 million years ago, it was somebody who's been studying this one for a long time found another one in China and they did some research and they're thinking, well, it's. It's not an example of convergent evolution where the same thing evolved two different times. It's just they're, they're kind of cousins. They came over across, the Beryn across Beringia that would be between modern-day Russia and Alaska, the, this land bridge if you lowered the ocean levels a little bit. And um, so for the importance of this study is they were able to look at that time because America was supposedly during this time period that they're talking about was going through all of these uh, great climactic shifts. So you mean now they can see changes. how animals react yeah. during climate change. And so we can apply that. In, in in uh, Dr. Andrew Snelling's model, that time period that they're looking at is actually during the Ice Age. It's post-flood Ice Age. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of stuff going, a lot of change going on in the climate at that time. But it doesn't mean that it had any application for what we're doing today. So. <laughs> the time Good after summary. the flood was a little bit unique in yeah, Earth's no history. <laughs> and you can find more of that on a website, more and, about and human so evolution, primate, so called. This you know, primate did not evolve. It stayed a primate. It was, it was this creature and... 
it didn't become a different creature. And really the big, yeah. the big push at the end was, you see how they adapted during climate change. We can learn from that because climate change is happening right now caused by humans. Therefore, we can learn from that and apply that. It really is pushing kind of the climate change agenda yeah. at the end for sure. But uh, some better news to end on for today. First of all, we are kicking up Christmas. That's starting up November 24th Ooh, through the 30th. There. We are already listening to Christmas music in our house. <laughs> My wife is fired up and we got Christmas music playing. Uh, but uh, the light, the, the gardens will be lit up. It's beautiful. It's festive. Great music. Great things happening while you're here. Special workshops you can go be a part of. Come check out the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, Christmas Town, Christmas Time during the special time. Really is a whole lot of fun. And it's pointing to Christ and really focuses on the whole purpose of Christmas is mm-hmm. the God becoming flesh and living the perfect life we could not live. Die on the cross in our place. Rise from the grave, defeating death. Repent. Put your faith in him the core message of christmas truly we focus on that Amen. and we got a brand new calendar coming out the fearfully wonderfully made calendar special calendar so it's really well done some of the exhibits and some of the uh, models and just some great artwork in there and then we got videos from different speakers in there i do one of those videos avery does as well yep. and so i don't know many other speakers there it is right there and so you can check that out they're there giving you some biblical teaching on different ideas about this particular issue wonderful thing you scan the barcode to check that out it really is an awesome calendar for 2024 and then to wrap up truly we're so glad you guys are here. And we tr- I truly do hope that Dick Palmer will reach out and contact us. I'd love to chat with him and take him through. And please understand the point of engaging anyone is not w- simply to win a debate about the age of the earth or dinosaurs, but to show people God's word is true. It's right about history. It's right about morality. It's right about salvation found in Christ alone. Absolutely. Which is the whole purpose of Christmas. On that note, you guys have a great day. We'll see you later on.